Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another episode of Breaking the Guard with myself and my co-host Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, Rob and I start off on politics and it couldn't be helped. We just passed the election here in the U.S. and even though we're three days out, we still don't have a president. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Uh, so we do touch on that quite a bit. And then we start moving on to the UFC, a uh, recent fight with Khabib Nurmagomedov, uh, his retirement and some of the things he had to say, which also flowed into politics a little bit. We then went just... Uh, Robert had recommended a couple of movies to me. One of them was The Social Dilemma, and the other was Moneyball. And uh, they both have very interesting implications, so we touched on that quite a bit, particularly on Moneyball, uh, how it was focused essentially on baseball's use of statistics to actually pick players rather than fame and, and fortune, and uh, how that could be applied into jiu-jitsu and MMA. And MMA is a little bit, they use they they keep track of the numbers, but they don't actually use it as a metric to bring players on board. Uh, and jujitsu obviously doesn't really have that either. So it'd be interesting to see. So we talk about that quite a bit as well. And we we move around here and there and quite a, kind of all over the place. So if you enjoy me and Rob bantering, this is the episode for you. <laughs> all right, so go ahead and tune in and enjoy. Before we get started, we'd like to give out. A shout out to one of our sponsors, which is the Kimor Trap System. You guys know Mr. Kimor Trap over here. I've been hawking DVDs and online courses since 2012. And I actually am out of DVDs for the Kimor Trap System. I uh, sold them all out. I've done many reorders over the years, but I've seen demand has pretty much it's dropping down significantly now that online courses are a thing. I mean, most people don't even have a DVD player anymore. So I have the online courses, which frankly are better because they're newer, they're up to date. I add content to them regularly. And while the DVD set itself is four and a half hours, the online content is 11 plus hours. So I don't plan on creating more DVDs. So uh, I'm going to be moving forward and just doing everything online at this point. I think it's the best way. I know some people who live out in the middle of nowhere might be upset with me, but I think for the most part, it's going to make it much easier for everybody else. And the content's going to be a lot better quality. It's 4K video, uh, 60 frames, and all that good stuff. So if you want to pick up the Kimura Trap system, you can still get it online. And I have it on sale over 50% off. It's not 197 It's not 127 It's 97 bucks. It gives you full access, lifetime, and you can use it on any mobile device, TV, smart TVs, or whatever you use to access the internet. Just go to KimuraTrap.com. And if you use the coupon code KLD is 87, Kilo Lima Delta, India Sierra 87, you'll get an additional. $10 off, or is it 20 I'm not sure. You're going to have to find out by entering that coupon code when you go to the order form on KimuraTrap.com. And if you just heard me preach a bunch but didn't even know what the Kimura Trap system is, do yourself a favor. Go ahead and check it out. I have free videos on there. Uh, I even offer a free 45-minute online course on there as well. 
teaching you what I call the Kimura Fundamentals. And if you don't like that, I have another free course, which has three other videos. And if you still need more free stuff, I, have, I still have the intro DVDs, which is essentially 80 minutes of content. And I have online versions of that as well. Uh, and all available on KimuraTrap.com. Hey guys, what's going on? It's David Avalon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale for another edition of Breaking the Guard. We're in the post-election season, supposedly. Although yeah. everything's <laughs> up in the air right now, no one knows <laughs> shit about fuck. So <laughs> I think when I posted on social media, yeah. it's like, how are we in 2020 and we're still we're getting worse at elections? And yeah, it doesn't yeah. make sense. No, there's clearly something wrong because you know this is the richest country in history. It's supposed to be a beacon of democracy, and every fucking year this happens. Like, it doesn't happen in other countries. There's got to be a better way of doing what we're doing. Uh, you know? Yeah, it's not just that. Like, some people are saying, oh, you know, COVID, and they had a lot of mail-in ballots. True, I'm sure that's yeah. something. But at the same time, it's like, it's not like they got surprised that there was an election coming up. You know, like, yeah. It's only happened every four years for the past two centuries. So no, like, it's the unbelievable. The IBGJF has better organization in terms of... Like, oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to, if you think about it, like, I guess part of the delays were that they were allowing same-day voter registration so someone could show up to the ballots and, and like, literally say, I need to register and register there. They don't allow you to do the IBGF. There's a reason for no, it, right? Yeah. Because it complicates things yeah, a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's hard to validate things. You know, so it, it's like... There should be a cutoff, you know? Like the mail-in ballots, like, man, like, I got the mail-in ballot like months before. And well, I'm going to wait like two days after the election to submit my ballot now. It's like... There's got to be a cutoff, yeah, I like, agree. Now, you, you need rules. But the thing is, I think the paper format is kind of outdated. We can, you know, digitize it at this point. I don't... I, I understand that. I mean, I remember... In Brazil, voting is mandatory. I don't remember yeah. I was living there. You had to vote. You paid a fine. It wasn't a high fine, but it was, you had to pay... If you paid a fine, if you didn't show up... Which is, you know, you can argue undemocratic, but at the same time, you get, you get the whole population to vote at least. So there's two sides to it, right? But I remember, and this is back in 2002, they had like, um, it was, it's all digital. You press, an, you, know, you press a code and it, and it goes, right? So it all goes to a central. So you can count the votes like two hours after the election closes, whatever it is. Like, it's pretty quick. I'm not sure exactly how long it takes, but it's a lot faster because you don't have to physically count votes. Of course. It's a system. And I'm thinking it's probably, as long as no one's hacking it, it's probably harder to, you know, for fraud to take place because it's, it's, a, it's a central. All the votes are going to one place, and you got your voter number. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a perfect system, but it seems like there's, there are better ways of doing what we do. It's yeah. just that we're doing it the way it was done 200 years ago, it seems like, and it hasn't really evolved. And the whole, the, ele the electoral college, uh, the, what do you call the, electoral, you go, electoral uh, college. college, I mean, how can you have less votes and win at the end? I understand, like, that's the way it's always been done, but at the same time, it's like, if this person has more votes than that one, pretty fucking clear to me that this person won, you know? But the way it works, I I'm not convinced that's a better system. Um, but again, it's been done for so long. I guess it's just the way it is. I think on the technology front, I agree with you. There, you know, the argument was that it would be easier to hack, right? Like, oh, you know, someone yeah. in, or you're trusting the technology to do the job. And maybe, you know, someone has a backdoor. Fair enough. But like, is that any better than what's going on right now? Because right now there's all sorts of scandals going on. People saying yeah. they were 
injecting ballots overnight yeah. and they're you know people not counting certain ballots you know there's dead people voting you know so it's like yeah. it's not like the paper system is any safer yeah. it seems like it's just as rife with uh corruption particularly since there's so much time uh, and uh, i guess some districts now like here in nevada they're right there's protesting in front of ballot stations because i guess the people at the stations were blocking off the wall so nobody could see mm. what was going on and like there's supposed to be transparency you're supposed to be able to watch people doing their work so it's like in other words it's not any safe there's yeah. there's handle so there's vulnerability everywhere but i agree with you like we have technology let's step it up right i'm sure there's a way that you can do this digitally without having all these compromises you know yeah. like of course any system's hackable just like paper is yeah. but like this is getting a little silly now i think paper will be easier i feel like and it's not it's slower because like, imagine you have like for example you have this county and it's like fiercely republican or democrat whatever the case it'd be easier to disappear with those votes and that's I what feel like, yeah, yeah, and that's what they're. I mean, that's where the confusion yeah. goes because like no one's trusting the people who are responsible for um, uh, handling the election. So it's it's a matter of trust too, and and it's very. I mean, we were just talking about this before the the, the podcast, but it worries me that it's going to escalate into violence because once people are not communicating anymore, there's no more dialogue, there's no more trust. Well, the next step after that is violence. Yeah, um, no, I agree. I think it's a big problem. On the other hand, with the Electoral College, I support the Electoral College, and I'll tell you why. There's the argument they have is called the tyranny of the, of the majority, right? Where essentially, if you have these smaller states, yeah, like for example, Nevada, if we go by purely by population, Nevada doesn't really matter anymore. You got states like California, New York, oh. Florida, Texas; they would be determining the vote. You know, remember we're like a constitutional republic. We have a bunch of different states that all do their own thing. So, like. If I'm a smaller state, why would I enter this union if I know I'm going to be overshadowed? I feel what you're saying because by else. because every state has its own, which is unusual too. Like I'm going to forget that like most countries they have a federal law yeah. and it applies everywhere. I think I don't know of any other country that has a system. The U.S. has as far as the, how much power the states have individually. But I guess you could see what you're saying would complicate it because California would carry so much more weight in domestic policy than. Than Nevada, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, because I mean, you have to also remember too that like the reason I like the fact that it's states, all the states are very different. Yeah. I mean, you've been to yeah, plenty of, course, of them, yeah. you know, and I've been, I lived in several for an extended period. West Virginia is very different than Florida, and it is Las Vegas, and it is Washington, D.C. So, like, this type of rules and the ways they live over there are very different and wouldn't work. If you apply the rules yeah. in California, the rules in New York, right? Yeah. So I, I agree in having the state separated, you know? So when you just say pure direct, direct democracy, that yeah. kind of weakens those states. Like, they already get very little representation as far as, like, you don't see, like, lots of campaigning in, like, the Dakotas, yeah. for example, right? Imagine if they did just direct democracy. There's like what a hundred people who live there. Yeah. <laughs> just be forgotten. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 like once again, like the state law does th- change things a bit. So maybe that's why they do the the way it does. But in my head, the more direct democracy is, the better it is, right? Like the alternative is worse. But like I, I could see complications if you're a very small state. Yes, but. You know, here here we are, man. Like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I just hope that people don't go at it and they accept whatever the results are. Like, I, 
I can have a preference. This happened recently in Brazil. Like, you know, the, the guy who's the current Brazilian president, like, I don't, I never support, I don't like him for a variety of reasons. But, you know, when he won, I, I accept it. Like, he's Brazilian president. Like, yeah. I don't have, like, oh, he's not legitimate. It was, he, he won, you know? Yeah. I got plenty of my friends voted for him. I totally believe that he won the elections, right? I don't think there was fraud, but like it's it's interesting to see because it was actually closer than people thought it was going to be, and there were a lot of people on his side who were talking about you know intervening in a military coup, and which in Latin America is like very easy to happen, very and it's, it's, it doesn't take much. <laughs> the military again, well, they get the generals get bored. That's my theory. There's nothing going on in Latin America. They've never seen a war, so they can't wait for an opportunity to get involved in some kind of action. But um. And um, and I think that's kind of what 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 would happen is they had they lost the election they would have intervened. I'm not sure all sides are accepting of the result, and that's the part that worries me. It's like, hey man, you lost. That's your new president. Except you don't have to like him, yeah. But you should support him. He's your president. You, you should know? want him to do good. You right? should want him to do great. Like and and any kind of boycott is and and really not even indirectly directly a boycott towards your own country. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that guy is leading you and the entire nation. So. You ought to be supportive. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it brings us to a topic that you had forwarded me an article <laughs> on some news organization that was saying that. Was oh, it called UFC... QAnon? Is it QAnon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that the UFC is a is a almost extremist right organization yeah. that's promoting fighters. You know, like I, I guess they they had Colby coming to my name, and they had one guy they weren't referencing by name. Oh. And of course, Eddie Bravo is. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> Bennett, yeah. Is listed as uh, essentially giving uh, airtime to like, you know, conspiracy theories yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Like we're now we're being painted with this broad brush. You, you know, it, it's. It, I don't mind. I think that people, everyone, everyone should have an opinion on politics. Politics is one of that. It's almost like a civil duty to have an opinion, an sure. informed, educated opinion. But everyone should be someone of an expert on the topic because your livelihood and the livelihood of your family and your country depends on it. So everyone should be informed. Everyone should participate. My issue, and the reason I see that article is this is like how widespread the whole conspiracy, everything is, it is because it probably is. Like right. there's zero skepticism. Like every way people want to believe something, they just jump to immediate conclusions because it probably is, you know? And the, I think the conspiracy theory thing, it's never been worse. I don't know, man. Like I, you know, I, the last 10 years I've seen a big shift in people. The other day, someone was telling me about oh, the globalists. Oh, that's a new one. Ever heard of that? I never yeah, heard of it. That's yeah, a new one. Yeah. The globalists. I'm like, who's that? Oh, it's the Chinese and the Canadians. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Slow down. <laughs> I heard the Chinese Canadians. I heard and the then, like, and then, and and then it's like, yeah. it's, it, it's this way of spinning the world. Because the second you have the Illuminati or the globalists or any kind of, you know, a room of people, you know, that are really controlling the world. It's so easy to get rid of the problem, right? Because you get rid of that people and you solve the problem. Yeah. And the problem is always much bigger. It's not so simple. Clearly, there are people that have a lot of influence on how the world, what happens in the world, more than me and you. But to say that if you got rid of those people, we would solve the problem, that's like a whole different statement, right? So it's just so, it's such a simplistic way of looking at the world and trying to solve the world's problems is saying get rid of these people and then everything is going to fall into place. Yeah. No, it, I think it brings you to a point which we also were talking about, which is, People have lost a lot of faith in public institutions, especially here in the U.S., like the advent of the word fake news, which, you know who coined the term? Donald Trump? No. Hillary Clinton. She coined it. She coined it. No. But she didn't use it, uh, like, she said it, like, once. And it caught on. And then 
Trump just picked it up and like, oh, I'm going to run with this yeah. thing. <laughs> she started it, yeah. <laughs> but she had pointed, I learned that uh, recently. But, um, you know, we lost faith in government. We lost faith in this. It's particularly with a lot of the scandals. Like, for example, we ju- I just watched the Edward Snowden, you know, documentary, and then we saw the film version of it, you know, with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And uh, people have seen that, and then they get, hey, man, we've been lied to this whole time. Yeah. You know, and it creates a lot of skepticism. And I think when you have an intense level of skepticism, these conspiracy theories start looking more and more alluring. Yeah, but then you need skepticism to expose those. Because if you put them to scrutiny, like they very, very rarely they stand. You know, like some of them are pretty outlandish when you think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, you know, I, I tend to lean towards, you know, a conspiracy is possible when it has, involves very like small number of people. So if you have like a, you know, I mean, we're going to conspire to do something, just me and you, you know, there's a good chance we get away with it. Once you get 5,000 people involved, it's, you know what I'm saying? And that's when, I, when people talk about like 9-11 being a, a conspiracy. I'm like, you know how many people would have to be involved to pull something like that off? Like, think about it. They're, put, they're planting bombs on every floor of both those buildings. You know how long that would take? You know how many people, like, you know, the cleaning personnel didn't see anything? Like, no one saw anything? You know how many people at the government level would have to be involved for something like that to actually take place? Yeah, We're talking hundreds, if not thousands of people. Like, there's no way you can pull something like that off without it leaking. Especially in the edge of the internet, everything leaks so quickly. Now, if that, that were just me and you, or just one person, suppose that were possible. That's believable, because you're going, well, that's not really a conspiracy if it's one person, but like, if it's yeah. two, it is. It's more believable, because, okay, the, the odds of something going wrong, or one of us talking, or information leaking, or communication leaking, is pretty slim. Right, that was like FBI's nightmare is a Ted Kaczynski, a Unabomber. Yeah. It's a one-man operation. How do you catch him? Yeah. He's not communicating with anyone. He's not sending emails, letters. It's just him and him. Like, how do you catch that guy? That's a much bigger problem. Like, that is something like, okay, you say something like that, believable. But to say that the man, man didn't land on the moon, you know how many people at the NASA level would have to be involved to pull that off? Every single one of those scientists said, yep, we're just going to go run with it. Yeah, no, and, the, and, and not only that, the Soviets would not call us on our bullshit. Our <laughs> biggest rivals at the time, they'd be completely... Notice that they never said anything about that. Yeah. The Soviets, the people who were most interested in... in Winning the space race. Exactly, yeah. and they're like, well, no, you guys won. You know, and they're quiet about it, yet, you know, people in the U.S. are like, no, it was, it was fake. It's like, man, that's pretty... It's a bit of a stretch there, you know. That's why I found funny about that article, because the people they were leading with was like Colby Covington, which is like an over-the-top character. At this point. Like he plays the part. Like he's, yeah. he knows what he's doing. It's yeah. not. It's, so it's not yeah. like he's not like being a serious person. No. And then you have Eddie Bravo, who funny guy. And he's, he yeah. contributed a lot to the sport. But I mean, as far as like a thought leader, I don't really think of him. As I, a, yeah, I wonder <laughs> if these guys believe that, or if they're just doing it to get attention. Because when you say outlandish things, people end up talking about you like sure, we are now. Sure. So it works in, in terms of marketing. It works, but I, I don't think that people actually believe that. Yeah. I have my doubt that like, you actually believe the earth. Like all these physicists, all these, yeah, all these, everyone is wrong, and you are right based off of some internet article you, you read. Like it, it blows my mind that anyone would be that arrogant. But I, I guess some people do believe the earth is flat. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy in this day and age. Is it, <laughs> it's funny. There's like this one famous tweet where I guess they had the flat earth society. Yeah. And he says, oh, we have members all across the globe. Yeah. And someone goes, Blue. <laughs> I saw that one, and then the other another comment read something like, "Read that one more time, very slowly." <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable that people are 
just they're just willing to believe anything and then they got to spin it in a way like the globalists are coming i heard that one recently i'm like what the fuck does that even mean you know and oh there's a there's a conspiracy of the coronavirus the whole world is conspiring like every government in the world got together and they agreed on something whoa whoa, whoa. that's a big event right there you're talking every we're talking hundreds of countries here and you guys all sat down and all secretly agreed that we're going to run this coronavirus thing to get people locked at home to control the population that's a pretty big statement that, that, that would say more about humanity than anything. Oh, my God. Talk about cohesion, right? Yeah. Talk about unity. <laughs> like, we've never been so united, right? Like, united under one race, you know, and the human race. And, and I mean, and, and the funny thing is, like, when you hear, like, oh, when the elections are over, everything's going to go back to normal. And I was talking to a friend of mine in Poland, and he goes, like, no, nah, we said the same thing over here. We had elections. Nothing changed. Yeah. <laughs> same shit. Coronavirus is still here. It might be different. The U.S. has bigger influence in, 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 in terms of, like, world events. So what happened? The world is watching what happens here. It has a bigger impact on the world. For sure so, it does. But as far as the virus goes, nothing's going to change. It's still a virus. It doesn't, there's no cure after the election. Yeah, you know? that is for sure. And I'm in the conspiracy theory from we're not immune to this in the martial arts either with uh, uh we had our guest uh like dojo life here and yeah. he combats a lot of this type of stuff and this these oh, people plenty. who teach like the, the, the mysticism or the demats and death touches and you think in this day and age that wouldn't fly but no. it still does people want to believe it yeah because it's 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 fantastic when you think it was worse before people think it's bad now imagine when people are gonna get called on their bullshit like i've gotten some some flack over you know, me not putting, you know, some of the historical figures in terms of martial arts on pedestals, you know, because I, you know, I think they're, they're a bunch of liars for the most part. Like, these people lie. Because we think, oh, he's 90 years old, he doesn't lie. Like, no, it's worse. The older <laughs> they get, the more they lie. It's the other way around. And I feel terrible saying this because I don't want to take credit. But we, we interview these grandmasters. And they're, I mean, I don't know if they're lying, if they're aware of it, or just making shit up. But, like, they seem to think that because they're 90 and no one challenges them, it must be true, right? Yeah. And... But I think, you know, learning somewhat about something about the history of martial arts in Brazil, I, I think it's almost like the trend, the most common thing to do was to lie. The difference is then they couldn't get caught on their bullshit, so they were more in the open about it. Whereas now people do bullshit, but they're more secretive about it. So Instagram is a perfect example. Everyone's portraying a life that is not real. Everyone yeah. acts like they have more money than they do. Everyone acts like they're better looking than they are. That's what the filters are for. Everyone's acting like they're living a life that they wish they were living, but we all know that they're not living, right? That's not real. It's, it's a form of, you know, trying to make yourself look better than you actually are. We're just more, um, we're just not in the open about it. It's, it's more, more concealed in some ways. Whereas back in the day, man, all these people did was bullshit, man. Like, they were just so full of it. Like, everyone exaggerated how good they were, uh, they were and how, what they were capable of. And I think that... That tradition in martial arts of like believing that some human beings are really truly extraordinary and this guy really is different, he's special. Now, anyone who trains knows that's a load of crap. That you know, you get some people that are better than others, but no one's invincible. Everyone's got an Achilles heel, and you, you fight enough, you're gonna lose. There's no way around that. Yeah, as incredible as Khabib is, if he keeps fighting, someone's gonna figure him out, it's gonna beat him. It's just a matter of time, yeah. you know. As, and he's like probably the most, I mean, if there's someone who's been dominant in MMA, I think it's. Fair to say it's been Khabib, right? Like 29 and 0, who does that? But um, it's just, there's no way around it, man. People just are attractive to this fantastic sort of a narrative of, of martial arts. And I think it has to do with, like, Western martial arts are very different from Eastern martial arts in the sense where, like, boxing and wrestling, 
there's never a lot of been a lot of BS around them. It's always been like straight up forward, like can you beat me, fight, win, tournament, competition, you know. And, but it's something about the East. There's something uh, exotic about it to the Western mind. There's something like that's um, there's a mysticism around the, the the Eastern martial arts. Everything that is Eastern is supposed to be in some way, you know, a little more mystical, magical, yeah. mystical. That's why you see like people that believe that. I mean, the Shaolin monks. I, I understand they are true athletes. But there are people who believe that they can pull off shit. Like, they would walk into the UFC and win. Yeah. You know? And then they believe that. Like, oh, the reason they don't win is because they're going to eye-gouge the fighter, and that's illegal in the UFC. That's I'm like, no, that's not why you wouldn't win. You wouldn't win an amateur fight. Like, like yeah. But, like, people, they want to believe this. And it's so ingrained in the martial arts culture. Well, you, I think that's a good point you bring, because you don't see this happening in sports for a reason. Because mm. it's tested all the time. Yeah. Right? Like, there's nobody who believes in a football player who can do some type of, you know, who can throw 100-yard passes or, yeah. you know, sprint super fast because, like, see, let's see it. Right? But in the martial arts, for a lot of times, they wouldn't compete, right? So it's like, how do you know? And then they make a story, right? Yeah. Especially, and it might not even start with the, the guy the story's about. It might have just been his students. Like, yeah. Oh, man, my sensei, yeah, you can tap out 10 people, oh. you know, just like this. And like, oh, and then the, the legend begins, you know, yeah. and especially when there's no internet, there's no video, there's no way of comparing people or seeing it. Everything just lives in folklore. Yeah. But I think now, particularly, I mean, we go back to UFC 1 and nobody was thinking, oh, Horace Gracie's going to win this thing. Right? No. Yeah, they had the French Sabata guy, the sumo guy, and it was like a total toss-up. Nobody had a clue. If we actually knew what was going on, it would have been really easy to pick the winner. Okay. I think the public didn't. I think there were people in the background, obviously, you know, like Horian, like had a very high expectation. Oh, for, for sure. There are people that knew what, because like that had been an old tradition. But the average spectator, the average American watching that those first UFCs, they had no, they were really curious to see, because they didn't even see fighter. They saw style. Yes. That, and that's that, how it was branded, too. Exactly. That's what was different then. It was style versus style, right? right? And like you said, the Gracies have been doing it. They've been testing it in the, the challenges. So they already knew what yeah. was what would happen. Yeah. Everybody else was like, clueless. Yeah. Had no idea what the hell was gonna go on. It's pretty surprising when you think about it that, that because now we take wrestling, grappling for granted as far as martial arts, but up to ninety three, that was not a thing in the US. Yeah. Like people did not consider it part of fighting. There, that was that one guy who walked in there with a boxing glove on. Remember that? Yeah, or Jimerson. Yeah, he had a box <laughs> like, dude, this guy is so clueless, that's what's gonna happen. He thought he was gonna be boxing. Imagine walking in there with a boxing glove on. Yeah. You know, um, but it goes to show the level of, of ignorance of, of the general public uh, um, in, in terms of fight. And when you think about it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that eventually you're going to grapple. Like Bruce Lee called it. Like he, he you know, you got to give him credit. He foresaw a lot of the things that would happen in a real fight. Yeah. Granted, he never fought. And you got to keep that in mind. Yeah. People talk about how great of a fighter he is. Like, when did he fight? He yeah. never fought, right? Yeah, so they have all these, like I guess, like underground matchups, supposedly. A lot you know, I'm not saying he wasn't good. He might have been yeah. phenomenal. My point is, like, we don't know exactly because yeah. we've never seen it, right? But it, you got to give him credit for, as far as his in, in, theory of what would happen in a fight, he was on the right track. He wasn't the only one, right? Like Japanese shooters always existed. It just never, you know, became a thing. Um, I mean, it never became as big as the UFC, but it was basically very similar to the UFC. There's, yeah. It could have taken off, it just didn't. Um, and I, th I, I suspect that it was, you know, because it was in Japan, A, and, you know, I think that the Gracie spin to it added like an, a layer of 
curiosity. You know, it made people more curious about uh, what was happening there in the way that Shuto maybe did it. But um, I think the style versus style thing was a big, that was a big one. That was yeah, a big thing, I right? think that because, was. Yeah, Shuto was always just from my understanding it was Shuto. It was pretty much MMA. I mean, yeah, there was yeah, very little differences. So there, there was no contrasting. There wasn't like who's is better, and we you know yeah. we love to see that type of stuff. But There's no story behind it. Yeah, yeah. with the UFC, there was definitely story. It was like okay, we have this guy from Brazil, you know, and then we have this. Uh, the sumo guy, and then we had the French Savata guy. Yeah, and, you know, and we, and we there was a shooter. It was like Street Fighter. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's how that's how I saw it as a kid when I first saw the UFC. This is like that Van Damme movie. What do you call it? The is it Bloodsport? Bloodsport. Yeah, that's that's Street Fighter. That was the UFC. In my head, it's like Bloodsport meets Street Fighter, but too, for real now. Yeah, it wasn't too far removed as far as rules were concerned. You know? Yeah. This is no eye gouging and no biting. I mean, we're, we're, we're missing like shurikens and, yeah. you know, <laughs> hadoukens. But like, other than that, man, it was, it was, um, I mean, I, I have nostalgia of those days. Like, I, someone just sent me recently like, a, a commercial of like uh, the, the first UFC. And one, it's interesting to me to see the amount of bullshit that goes into how it was sold. There was so much BS. But on the other hand, there was this nostalgia of that era because it was something very cool about the style versus style thing, which is dead now because now it's become like Shuto. It's, it's one style, really. Yeah. There's no such thing as jiu-jitsu versus karate anymore, right? But It's, yeah. it's interesting looking back to because when you watch the technical level, it was oh. atrocious. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> it's like going back into like the 80s and watching playing a Nintendo you know or Atari oh, you can't it's even it's like this is so awful I yeah. can't even look at it you look at the early UFC it's yeah. like oh man like this is it's so bad atrocious groundwork it's you know so or stand up with oh, all of it that the athleticism was not there you know it was a lot of like tough guys so. you, you know and, and it just always reminds me of like I never watch old movies that in my mind are great like I don't want to ever watch Back to the Future and Indiana Jones ever again I made that mistake a while back. You ever see Highlander? Oh, yes. Highlander, in my mind, it was like, you know, if you're younger than us, you probably don't remember. Because when I was a kid, Highlander, my mind was like the greatest film ever. It was such a... The only one, man. Yeah, there can be only one, right? (laughs) It's such a great story, right, in my head. And I made me, me, my my ex were like, sit down and watch it. I'm like, that's just so good, you're going to watch it. Like, five minutes in, I'm like... Fuck! I can't believe I suggested this. It's so bad. It ruined it, man. You can't watch it again. You just got to leave that memory how it was. It was great when I was a kid, and that's why I don't. I don't like touching classics. Like I've learned that lesson. Like just leave it as it is. Like watching the UFC now is the equivalent. Yeah. Just leave it as it is in your memory, because in your memory it was incredible. Oh, this is so cool, you know. When you watch it again, he's tactically he's like, oh fuck, man, this is terrible. You yeah, know? it was really poor. Thailand in the movie was never really that good. The in se- my mind, the, the, the series is much better. I don't think I saw the series. They had a TV series. Is that, it fairly new? No, 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 no. It was old. But it came, but like, because yeah, the Highland movie itself, like, especially when you watch it back, it had Sean Connery and all that. You think, but it was just awful, you know, like. But I think, see, when I was seven I, years old, that's not the case, man. I think the, the lore of it is a lot more yeah. like, appealing, you know, especially to people, to the, uh, young men, you know, they say, oh, you have a, high, a race of immortals that and they you have can to, only like, be one, they, chop your head off. Yeah, and, yeah. So it's kind of cool. So the, like, the series was a lot more, it was better storytelling. 
Because okay. they follow the one guy. Yeah, because it's a good story. Yeah. It's a good plot. It's, it's, it's very poorly written and, and, and directed. I think that was the, the case. You know, it was yeah. just like they didn't know what to do with it. Because you can have an amazing plot and ruin it very quickly if you don't have the right writer, the right actors, the right director. Yeah, I feel like, the, for example, like even the Alien movies, like Prometheus. I love yeah. the concept of it. I think yeah. the execution is horrible. Who directed that again? I can't remember. Was that Ridley Scott? Ridley Scott. It's like, unusual because he's such a good director. Yeah, but it's just, it, I, I don't know, it seems so, like, far-fetched, you know? Like, you have, like, super smart scientists, and then they see, like, a giant snake thing, and they're like, oh, I'm going to try to pet this thing. It's like, are wow. you out of your mind? Like, no. serpent, In that's outer universally space. known, like, since yeah. biblical times, a bad thing. Yeah, run. Right? run. <laughs> Kill it. Go, oh, that's cute. Like, oh, this guy's, like, brain dead? I, remem- I don't remember the plot. I mean, I, you know that. It was not a good movie in my head because I don't remember much of it. I deleted it from my memory. But I remember watching with high expectations. Yeah. It was, it was a prequel to Alien, right? Yeah. So it had a lot of promise to it. And, you know, and then it, I remember being disappointed. No, like, again, it's the same thing. The lore of it is great. Like, I'm like, okay, I, I like the backstory. Just delete everything the way they told it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have a race of super yeah. aliens that essentially went around the universe and, like, depositing their... But- Genetic material. That's the thing about becoming right. too critical is that when you start learning too much about these things, it's you become pickier. Like I become like to me, like every action film was watchable before. Now the ninety nine percent of them are not watchable. Yeah, the become so, yeah, like it's just you know you, exactly. You see like a fight scene, for example. Like when I was a kid, every fight scene was absolutely amazing. Now, like I literally, it gives me anxiety seeing some watching some of these fights because they're so poorly done. And I just like, fuck, man, this is terrible. I, I, good writing, right? I always give this example. I always recommend this TV show to people. Uh, True Detective, have you seen it? Yep, yep. It's my favorite TV series of all time. Episode, uh, season one to me is season like... Season one's the best, for sure. Is yeah. the best TV series ever, in my opinion. Yeah. The writing, yeah, the yeah, acting, yeah. everything yeah. about it. And I always give that as, as an example of good writing because they kept you wanting more all the time. I mean, it was a great plot and it was yeah. perfectly executed, in my opinion. But... You know, and then when you raise the bar to that, and then you go season two and three, which yeah. are not bad. If you watch them independent, no, you're, you think it's bad because you're comparing it to one. Yeah, yeah, That's no. the standard. That's the problem yeah. because the bar has been raised so high now, you can't meet it ever again. And I feel like that's the case with, like, bands. That's the case with film, with seasons. You can't, once you have, like, a masterpiece, it's like everything after that is just going to be shit, you know? So, so these in Dream Detective, they're not the same storyline. So it, it still yes. works, but like you're like, man, that first storyline. It was so good. It was but it was yeah. it was not just the plot that was great. It was the combination, the acting, the all of the the the, 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 the the I mean, the writing was my favorite part. I think he, he did a great job. I heard that guy wrote it too, and like very quickly. I think he pitched it to HBO. And then they went on with it, and he had to write the whole season in, like, like weeks, like a couple weeks kind of thing. He really rushed to do it, and he still killed it. So. Yeah. Um, but no, highly recommended. Yeah, that was a good one. And uh, I recently watched uh, Social Dilemma. You watch it? Yeah, what do you think? Well, I turned off all the notifications on my phone. Didn't? So. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and just, what I thought about it. Very, very interesting. Whole... Have a, my, my favorite was like how there's an avatar of you that Facebook has or Google has. And they know more about you than you know about yourself. Which yeah. is disturbing when you think about it. You know, the, the main guy, uh, Tristan, uh, he had done an interview with Joe Rogan just like last week. I watched that. More of the same points, but he did have a very interesting quote that I thought was uh, very illuminating because I guess there was this, I, man, I forget the title of the book that he was saying, but he like 
paraphrase like the, the forward of it and uh pretty much he said that uh, the author was right you know when 1984 passed you know everybody in the in the modern world breathed a sigh of relief that yeah. orwellian's vision didn't come to fruition oh, yeah and but what they didn't realize there was a a greater uh fear that was coming that was older but people have forgotten, which was Ados Huxley's Brave New World. Yeah. Whereas Orwell was afraid of tyranny from the government by using fear and oppression, and Huxley was afraid of tyranny of people submitting to their pleasures. Yeah. You know, it's very interesting because that's kind of what social media is. Yeah. Right, it's like giving you what you want, in, in and no game. one's forcing you to go on your phone. No, yeah, you do it voluntarily. And the other thing too is like I actually never read uh, Brave New World. Actually, it's been on my to read list for years. I I will read it. I just I love 1984. But the reason why that level of tyranny at the government level, it's it's too obvious. The way 1984 is in that sort of world, it's too obvious who the enemy is. It'll be too easy for people to spot it, right? And he's oppressing you, so it's easy to spot that, identify the government as your enemy. It's a less realistic world than what you're suggesting. I haven't read Brave New World, but a world that we're living in where you volunteer to give your information away. You volunteer to have Google and Facebook know everything about you. Now, you don't have to use their platform. No one's forcing you. Yeah. But it's you're, you're succumbing to your own pleasures, right? So that's, that's a lot scarier because, you know, the enemy in this case is your lack of discipline to put your phone down. And I'm, you know, and I, you know, I'm guilty of this as well. Like I catch myself drifting. Like sometimes in the middle of the night, I wake up to pee and I go check my phone. And I, I'm making an effort to stop that now. It's like, man, this is sleep time. Like I don't, who cares who's texting me right now? You know, um, I'll do is like when I'm reading, I sometimes I'll, I'll read and like I have the habit of interrupting my reading to check my phone, which is terrible. Because yeah. next thing you know, you spend ten minutes on your phone instead of. So now I put timer. I put a timer when I'm reading. One hour. And I cannot touch my phone until the phone beeps. So I'll read for one hour straight. It's been great. So we have to figure out ways of tricking ourselves to discipline ourselves so not to succumb to this. Because I don't want to live without the internet, without my phone. I enjoy it, but I don't want it controlling me either. And it does bother me that Google has all that information about me. Because it's not just what I like to buy. That part doesn't bother me so much. If they give me an ad that I'm interested in, that helps me. The part that bothers me is my personal life. Yeah. That part bothers me because they know everything about it as because they're listening to this conversation because my phone's right next to me. Yep. That part bothers me far more than anything else. Well, it's funny because it's fresh in my mind because I just watched the, the Snowden thing. Yeah. But you could see like towards the end of his like career and contract work, he was becoming very, very alarmed because I guess they showed one bit that he is confronted by his uh, superior and he goes, hey, look, you know, I know you know I covered for you in Geneva when you kind of dropped the ball. He's like, oh, and I appreciate that, sir. He goes, you also know that I covered for you when you lied on your polygraph to get into this next test. And then he says, quiet. And he goes, did you use any authorized programs that I'm not aware of? And it, he had used an unauthorized program that he wasn't supposed to. And he was quick to give a cover story, which is, oh, you know, me and my girlfriend at the time were having a really bad time, and I thought she was cheating me, and I was checking in on her. Yeah. And he actually did, so it kind of covered him. Yeah. And then the boss goes, 
I know you two had a rough patch there in Geneva, just to assuage your fears. She's not cheating on you. I remember that. Yeah. The yoga guy or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. He knew. So yeah. like, he's like, oh, that means this guy's actively watching her right now because this is someone she's next to right yeah. now. You know, so like, he starts putting the tape on all the laptops. Yeah, it's and, it's very disturbing, man. When you, when you think about it. Yeah. You know? So like, we're kind of at though. The point I was gonna make, we're kind of at both. They're converging. <laughs> so, oh. so there is a, uh, there is the, I guess the foundation for creating a 1984 government yeah. at this point, right? Because they do have this surveillance capability, but we also have the the brave new world problem, which is that we're also being succumbed to our pleasures, yeah. and it's through that that we're giving the power to government to be able to access all the information. So it's a very interesting point in our in our history. No, hundred percent. Yeah, because I think that the point of, you know, at least people say government, but I think it's power, right? Like government is a manifestation of power. But if, if you have, uh, it doesn't have to be a government for it to be powerful manifested. Jeff Bezos has more power than the president of the United States. <laughs> like that guy, he's got so much money, he can influence any election. You think he can't? You think he doesn't pull strings? You think he can't? Yeah. He doesn't have the power to do that? It's just that I think there's been a shift in, in, in power from the political stage into the private stage. Like that's the I think the private sector is is the one that really has the the, the that that's where power is concentrated because wealth has been concentrated to such an extent here, and and of course you have Citizens United too, which allows basically big money to buy into elections, and that's what they do. They do yeah. they finance the campaigns and they're you know lobbying is it's so common ground in in, in Washington. I, I think that that's, that's where power is leaning is toward the private sector. It's not so much the government per se. But even though there's this whole move about you get a government out of your life, and my fear has always been, okay, you get government out of your life, you replace it with what? Because with government, at least I have some say. It's not ideal, but I have some say. It's still a republic. I still get to vote. I still have my rights. You know, when you remove all that and you place, you, know, you have a power vacuum because you remove the power from, you, you know, which technically is people, the power of the people. And you put that power in the hands of the private sector. What say do I have that now? Like I have a say as a consumer of Amazon and Google, but not so much as in what their decision making is. And they do have a lot of decision making power at the high level. It's tricky though, right? Because I guess the argument from other people would be that the private sector already has power over oh, 100%. the now because they're, they're essentially now. all the all of their government actors are being puppeted. Yeah. By all their special interests yeah. and you know the donors and all these people that they've made promises to get this campaign money because how big of a thing that the campaigns are you know yeah. I mean well you had Hillary spending like billion like I think they said a, nearly a billion dollars in a campaign which it's is insane which is absurd. you know it's not her money right of course not, yeah. <laughs> that's what people are like but, but, that's private sector money yeah but the thing I didn't know yeah. about was that campaign yeah. uh, managers. Get a percentage of that as their salary. It's oh like, wow! It's like five, ten percent, or it's some. It's it depends on money. Yeah. So like, man, it's like a good business to be in right there. Whoever got that at least picked up a hundred million. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, like, I there's also conspiracy, but whatever. But I mean, yeah. So there's already like private sector influence in government already. So they're saying like, if you remove the big government, that's still going to be there. You know. That's, it's it's already yeah. taken a new shape. Like it's like yeah. that, that that the there's a book I always, I mean it, there there are a lot of ties between you know 
Gov big government does exist. It just doesn't favor the little guy. It favors big business. It's a book I always recommend people read. It's called uh, The Nanny State by Dean Baker. I just give a friend, Ed, a big edit copy. It's a small read, but it basically talks about how government is used, but for the benefit of big business. So they get like plenty of stuff, like pharmaceuticals are subsidized, airlines are subsidized, like um, arms industry heavily subsidized, right? So this is all public funds that are going into the hands of the private sector. They just don't pay us back. Yeah. So once they develop the weapons or the drugs or whatever, they don't pay us back, right? The drug is theirs, they patent it, whatever. But it was, the research was done with public funds, right? Yeah. So that's a form of corporate welfare. It doesn't come up in conversation because both parties, you know, these are the people who are financing their campaigns. But that's why it doesn't come up. It's a huge issue. And it goes to show that there's a lot more ties between the government and, the big, and big business than people would think. They're essentially the, I'm not saying they are the government, but they... They're the, the sponsors. They're the ones behind it all. And I think there's, there's a quote from John Dewey. It goes, politics is the shadow cast on society by big business. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, Big business is the one that's, politics is just a shadow of, of something bigger. You know? Very interesting. I'm going to go to another movie illusion that you told me. Uh, Moneyball. Yes, with, um, with Brad Pitt. That was great, man. Yeah. I love that movie. Very good movie. Um, we looked into the guy's life afterwards. So it, Did it add up? I, I didn't look into the facts. I just saw the movie and I thought it was well, a, the, the idea she, behind it was great. Whenever we watch any type of like movie based on a real true story, she wants a fact check. She's you know googling it while the movie's yeah. going. Like, oh, I'm like, don't spoil it for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me watch the movie, then fill me in the details. Yeah. You know, she doesn't care. She's like, oh, this is fake. No, that that yeah. didn't happen. But it's mostly it's pretty much true. They just changed the name of uh, Jonah Hill's character. He wanted to stay private for some reason yeah but um basically like uh, for people who didn't watch it or haven't watched it, it it talks about how they created essentially a scientific method yeah. for picking players rather than based on the popularity yeah. or where they came from statistics yeah. yeah yeah which is crazy because that was in 1997 that's insane it's so late in the game yeah. i thought this was going to be like in the 60s or something like that i'm like no no this is like in the 90s Recent, and they were just yeah. figuring out like how to, it. Uh, tradition yeah so pretty wild, and then uh, my girlfriend's like, "Oh, like all well, the modern sports are now like that." I'm like, "Well, not MMA, no, not MMA." MMA I, and is it, still it, like a mind, mind-boggling. And jujitsu is the same. And I've I've made this suggestion on IBJJF before. I've made it to another people. Like, why aren't you guys collecting data so we can actually find out what's happening to sport versus what we think? You know, case in point. You know, when Barry Bolo was trendy. Everyone, Barry Bolo, that's all my students wanted to teach, I learned, right? That's all that. I was getting bombarded with questions. That was the theme, right? And then, you know, I think it was BJJ Heroes came up with statistics. I, I didn't check the facts behind the statistics, but I, mean, I was trusting of their, their yeah. info, right? And I think Barry Bolo's were like 4% of sweeps, but no one would shut up about them, right? And I was like, there were more sweeps happening from half guard and close guard than there were from Barry Bolo. But, like, that's not the public perception. If you watch, if you went by... By fashion, if you went by Instagram, if you went by what people are talking about, you would think that was the whole story. So this is the beauty of statistics. That's why I like that movie Moneyball so much because it exposes what you think is happening versus what is actually happening, right? And I, I think that you know teams will evolve into training their athletes based off of statistics, right? And I kind of do this already. Like I don't have like like the statistics in hand, but I have a good idea of what is common. Like for example, the most common takedowns. From my experience, are double leg, single leg, Ipponsionagi, uh, Katagoruma. Those are probably the four most common takedowns, right? 
those are the ones I work on the most. Yeah. Like, not that I don't show the other ones, but like they're a smaller piece of the story. Like the most common path to submission in gi and no gi, my guess is passing, turtle, back, rear naked choke. Yeah. I think that's the most common pathway, right? So I always have my guys start in turtle position because I think it's just a, such a common position to be in, right? And then when you do that, you can really hyper-focus your training. Like right now, there's a trend with leg locks. Like everyone's leg lock. Leg lock. My question is, are leg locks that big of a number in the equation? I think it's actually smaller than people think. But they, they, they're somewhat trendy, so they draw a lot of attention. So when, you know, someone catches someone a heel hook, it becomes a whole story. When someone catches someone a rear naked choke, it's like, ah, it's another rear naked choke. But in fact, I haven't done this, but I believe if you looked at numbers over the last two or three ADCCs, and you went, what's the most common submission? It's still by far the rear naked choke. Yeah, we'd have to be able to, it would be great, like you said, if like a major organization, MGF, actually had the work of like tabulating results, I can see how it would be more challenging because they have like eight mats going yeah. on or like 16 mats going on at yeah. once. So that means they're going to have to have somebody at each. Oh, well, they have to record everything and someone's going to have to watch every single match later. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and take notes, which if you're going to pause it and take notes, it's probably going to take 40 minutes for each match. Yeah, <laughs> and the complexity behind it also makes it trickier, right? Yeah. Because it's easier in like baseball hit. Bunt, you know, ball, yeah. foul, you know, so like there's a lot of gray area like, fighting. There's like four things, and you just we say sweep, okay, but what type of sweep? Well, it's a bimbolo, it's a hip bump, it's Not a only that. flower. It's was a, was it an actual sweep? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so there's like so many verses. Like you said, it's not gonna be like oh, I can just mm, watch it and like go through it. And then yes. some of them you might watch like. What the hell is that? Like, yeah. That's a new one. <laughs> it, it'll be, it, because they, 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 yeah. they're, they're, it's not so clean cut. Because some sweeps are half guard, but they're kind of butterfly, open guard. And we don't always agree. Like, I've seen people, now people come up with new names all the time. Like, half butterfly. Right? And it's like, oh, yeah. Z guard. It's like, that's just a fucking knee shield, you know? Or the other <laughs> one was, you know, and then like tornado guard. Everyone calls it tornado. Oh, it's a helicopter. What happened to helicopter? And no, now it's not a helicopter, it's tornado. So we're not even talking about the same thing. Like, we're talking about the same thing. We're just using different names. Yeah. Uh, what's the other one? All the time, like they, they kept coming up with names of old, and it just it just because they're trying to uh, rebrand it. But pe- it's difficult for people to to um, see these things as as old things because it just doesn't sell that well, I guess. You know, so you got to come up with pancake guard or some new kind of guard or something. There's always something new coming up, coming up but I guess just the way it is. But um, it's yeah, it's interesting to see how we what we think is happening is not always what is happening. I think. MMA is probably closer, and it actually has a, a data now. At least in the UFC, uh-huh. they're they're doing strike counts from head, body, leg, and they're doing ground striking, uh, takedowns, yeah. submissions. But it doesn't seem to be a deciding factor as far as hiring people. Uh-huh. It's just tabulated. So at some point, I wonder if they're going to actually move off of WWE pure marketing uh-huh. to like legitimizing like. We're picking the best athletes based on the metrics. I don't think they will, man. Yeah. I think it's because the priority of the UFC, you got to remember, it's a business. It's aimed at profit. I think good quality fighters is a second concern. It sits below making money. That's why guys like Brock Lesnar can debut in the UFC, right? Uh, what is it? CM Punk can debut in the UFC. They will allow that because they know that it's going to sell tickets. Like in the real world, that guy were not famous. There's no way. He would be making his debut in the UFC, but his name carries so much weight, they'll allow it. And I think that they will always prioritize, can we sell tickets versus this guy can actually 
really, you know, I guess that's, hold his weight. It reflects also because I wonder, how come we don't see that in other professional sports? Like, you know, football and baseball, or we don't just get, like, Kanye West, hey, I'm going to, you know, play first base on the Yankees. You know, you know a lot of people are watch that, right? But it doesn't happen. And I can see that it wouldn't because the format's different in a sense there's teams and there's team owners. And the team owner has to pay for that player, right? And then his return on investment is that player taking them to the, the championships, right? Because they're getting more game time getting more press coverage and getting more sponsors or whatever the case is. So I think that model is different, whereas the UFC, in this case, contracts all the people. There's no teams. There's no owners of them or whatnot. So it, all that matters is, like you said, how many eyeballs showed up. Yeah. Right? Like, the guy could bomb, but it, who cares? We, yeah. he, he already did what he needed to do, which is get people to watch. That was the end of it. Yeah. yeah we didn't, I don't need to cultivate this guy, the talent, if he shows that he can't fight. But, like, if I'm in the NBA or NFL and I'm going to pick some guy that's just an Instagram celebrity, if I buy him and he ends up sucking, yeah. he's, I have him for the rest of the season yeah. and I'm paying him, but like it was a dud. I mean, so yeah. There's like more of a risk factor. You know what I mean? So I guess I answered that, but it seems weird. You know, like you can, that doesn't exist yet. Or, yeah, it's they're always going to go where, you know, ticket sales are. I don't think that's ever going to change. And it, it makes, from a business perspective, perspective, it does make sense. I think an organization that went just by sheer quality of the fighters wouldn't do as well as the UFC. The truth of the matter is 90% of their clientele, of their business, of their of the people who are buying pay-per-view don't understand fighting, if not more, more like 95%. The average person, like, just give an example. Why do you think Connor sells so many tickets? Because he's that good? If you ask the average Conor fan, like, name me three qualities of Conor McGregor in the inside a cage as a fighter. They couldn't do it. They'll buy the pay-per-view. Yeah. You know, like, but they're not going to. They, 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 they wouldn't know where to begin. They had no idea. It's like, oh, because he's a badass. Like, go give me, give me, tell me something about him that he's good at. They couldn't do it. And the second you, you, you have that sort of north, you're going to end up with ticket sales and you can make a lot of money. But... I think that, and this is always something that concerned me in the UFC, is that they would lose credibility. Other organizations with better fighters would start getting more credibility within the educated sectors of the fighting community, of the fans, right? People like me and you who've been fighting, training forever. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's, I think the UFC kind of, they, they, they have a good balance, I feel like. They're not completely sold out. It's not gone pro wrestling. It's, I think at the end of the day, they, there is a balance between them fighting guys that can sell tickets but can still have high level of fighting inside a cage. Like Connor, for example, he can sell tickets, but there's no one denying it. He's a good fighter, right, for example. And uh, or the organ other organizations seem to be struggling to have that good balance. Well, I mean, I guess we look not, I guess, was it last weekend? Anderson Silva fighting Uriah Hall. Yeah. And I, I was just telling you before, uh, the podcast that they had a, a metric and I'm, I'm getting this wrong probably but it was something like from 2013 or 2000 I think it was 2009 to 2015 or something like that he was 14 and 0 yeah. 12 TKOs and then the last three years of his career up to now he was like 1 and 7 you know so he was already well in his decline unfortunately that fight didn't go well for him he got TKO'd in the third round by Uriah Hall and then afterwards, Dana's like, oh, I should have never booked that fight. He's never going to fight for us again. 
But it, it kind of goes back to what, what you were saying, where it's a spectacle, right? Like, yeah. It'll sell another, tickets. Yeah. In another, in, in another organization, they probably want to let that fight fly, you know? Because it's just like, we know this guy's already, he's overmatched, you know, and he's past his prime. What's the point of this? We're endangering this guy, yeah. you know, from a health perspective. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it is a... Uh, weird for me like i would like to see this sport be more professional in a sense rather than like yeah just by more meritocracy if you will rather than yes i i agree i think most fighters most most of the hardcore fans would agree with us but we're the minority and i think one of the reason why the ufc has been so successful is they understand that me and you are the minority so yeah. they're not going to create rules or systems or create policies that you know are things that we would concur with they're going to go where we're that, that, that's what good business is at the high level. It's just nothing. Sensing where, which way the wind is blowing. And then you change accordingly. If the majority of people want this, well, that's what we're going to do. If the majority of people want that, and that's sort of their north. And, I mean, I don't like that, but, like, there's a reason why they've been so successful. Like, my, you know, my, my dad doesn't necessarily, you know, never trained before. But if he hears enough about a fight that's well, you know, pumped if it's if it's sold well enough like he'll buy the pay-per-view to watch even though he'll never never step foot in in a gym and i think the majority of the population is like that if you hype it up enough they're gonna buy well it's interesting this last the last mega pay-per-view you will was uh off with uh gaichi gaichi and uh well he retired after that fight supposedly but you know mma retirements, i think he'll come back yeah uh you never know for sure but their pay-per-view did 675,000 buys, which isn't bad, but it wasn't great either. Oh. Earlier, the biggest pay-per-view of the year was Usman Masvidal, which had 1.3 million. Yeah. And they were both in Fight Island. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that the disparity was so big, considering that they were saying that Khabib was going to be a bigger draw, because he got paid a guaranteed 10 mil. I heard 12. For 12. That's what I heard. I don't know how yeah. accurate that is, but yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive that, but it seems like a miscalculation in the sense from the UFC, like, he, he didn't draw in as much as I guess they would have hoped he would have drew. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I think people were more eager to see Khabib and Ferguson. Um, I think, I mean, Gaethje had like a quick rise to the top of the UFC. I don't think he built a solid fan base. No. On his, it was built. kind of, I think it was fairly quick, because I had never heard about him. Next thing you know, he's like, Top five in the UFC. Yeah. yeah. I know he's, his UFC start wasn't great, but then he, he yeah. skyrocketed. So that's, I think that might, might have something to do with that. I think a lot of people might have felt that El Khabib going to kill this guy. Because in people's mind, like, you know, Ferguson was a bigger challenge, or someone like Conor was a bigger challenge. With Kadich, they may be people that, once again, the vast majority of people who understand fighting would have felt that, okay, this is going to be a much easier fight for Khabib. Uh, I would like to see numbers on the, the Dustin Poirier fight with uh, Khabib. What was that like in terms of sales? Oh, I wouldn't know, but yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see. Just compare to see if he's actually, because it might be that it's one of those things if a guy's so dominant and everyone feels he's already going to win, then it's yeah, like nobody cares no one cares to watch it, which is I, honestly, terrible when you think about it, because like the better you get, the less you sell. Like How does that work? Honestly, for me, that was kind of the deal. I didn't Went into that pay-per-view. I was like, eh. I, I didn't see AG making it. Like, I'm like, he's going to get taken down and beat down. And 
I, much is what went down. And, yeah. and, and the funny thing about like Khabib striking, it's not great, but it's good enough to keep everyone scared. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, showed he yeah. has power, so yeah. Yeah, he's got. He hits hard. Yeah. yeah. You have to respect it. But he's not like the most art. He's no Anderson Silva on his feet. He's no like, uh, what's his the other name of the, I always forget his name. Uh, Uh, Adesanya. Adesanya. Like, he's just such an articulate striker. Khabib is just very one-dimensional, one-two. Like, he's not very super articulate with his striking, but he's good enough to keep everyone shit. Is he going to shoot? Is he going to shoot? Is he going to? Because everyone's really worried about the shot. Of course. And then that's when the right hand hits. You know, like something else he throws, right? And then, then there comes a shot. It's such a... He's such a perfect combination of, of um, a good wrestler with good grappling and his striking just being just the right amount to get where he really wants to be, which is on that fence. Yeah, and he's a no doubt tough guy. Apparently, he had a broken foot. Yeah, I heard and that. And he had the mumps, which apparently I don't know much about. From what I heard, it's kind of like a... Normally, you're vaccinated from that because you're in a yeah. Western country, but obviously he's... Dagestan, they probably don't give vaccines. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. They wrestle with bears yeah. and that's about yeah. it. So apparently it's supposed to be really bad, uh, like general itching and whatnot. Yeah. And like, I guess it can make men sterile. So, yeah, yes. Because I, I've, 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 I had mumps when I was, when I was a, a kid. Um, and, you know, they told me just lay down the whole time because it can go down. Like, yeah. I don't know. I can move. I, can, I, I don't know the details. But, uh, yes, I heard it can make you sterile. Yeah, but so that's for, it, but it's for like. If you really have that during a fight, that's impressive. Because yeah, how do you prepare if you have something like that? Because when I told my girlfriend that, she's like, "He would have been so uncomfortable for the whole two weeks." You know, not only the mentally, kids, but, I think he's yeah. got to be one of the strongest guys out there, and that's why I'm wondering. I admire him so much. He's like, I, I actually, he, he, he always liked him, but he went up my, my, uh, on my rankings a lot. Probably my favorite fighter of all time at this point, him and GSP. Because I remember, like, with the Connor fight, like, he, he kept his cool the whole time. And Connor insulted his religion, his family. Like, over there, they take that shit seriously, man. Like, here, you, say, you, talk, you talk shit about someone's religion and mom and dad, and, like, you're like, yeah, hey, you kind of get kind of mad. Or over there, like, I'll kill you. Yeah. You know, they get very, and he handled, man, he was cool the whole time. Like, you, he tried to get into his head, the, the way Connor got into Jose Aldo's head. And Khabib is just stoic the whole time. He's just focused on the mission. And you can see he was bottling it up because when the fight ended, yeah, that's he, when he got angry. That's when he got physical, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I admire him because you can see that what Connor was doing was working. Yeah. It was working. It's just that he kept his cool the whole time. It's like you have to be incredibly mentally tough not to let that emotion come out at the wrong time. And that's what he did. The emotion did come out. At the right time after the fight, what he at that point he didn't care what was going on. Like I beat you, now I'll lose my mind, you know. Which yeah. is very, and I mean, you can see that he was holding on. To, it was no, just bottled. He's very uh, vocal about his religion. Like he just had after the fight, he got into this thing against with Macron. Yeah, I saw Macron, that. Yeah, I, I guess they had some scandal of some sort because uh, I guess some teacher was showing uh, a comic depicting Muhammad, Muhammad. Yeah, and they don't play with that. Yeah. No. It's funny, like <laughs> South, Park, South Park season one, they have, uh, they have a, a, a Muhammad is in there. They just never got in trouble for for some reason because I mean, when was the first season of South Park? Ninety something, ninety eight, nine. I wouldn't know, yeah. but I've seen it. I actually have that episode somewhere on my laptop. Like, man, they never got in trouble. But like people have, but now it's such like a politically loaded issue. I, I might 
I don't want to get into that, but I, I believe in freedom of expression ultimately. But at the same time, like, why do you really want to piss people off that badly? Like, what are you gaining? Is, it, is there a purpose to this? This freedom of you know expression should be something that serves a purpose that is. Yeah. Are, yeah, but like, if you're just doing it to piss people off, it's like, okay, you pissed them off, all right, but what's been accomplished? You know. Well, it's interesting. It's a, it's, like, a diff- it's, it's a complicated one. Because yeah. people worry about the slippery slope thing quite a bit, right? Like if you're, yes. I believe, well, I was just reading something, I could be wrong, or I read some or heard something about it. But the ACLU was actually founded uh, by, well, like one of the things that helped start it was the fact that, uh, I guess, neo-Nazis wanted to protest. To protest. Yeah. And it was Jewish lawyers that were defending their right to protest. Yeah. And they had recognized that, like, hey, if we don't let these people protest, then one day it's going to be ours. It's going to be ours, yeah. But no, it's yeah. you so, have to fight for the right of people you disagree with to protest. But I, I, I agree with you at the same time. Is like, okay, th- there should be a point to it. Like, I, can I say, oh, f you, you know, f your mom, or whatever, like that? Sure, but like, why? 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 Do we really need to test that one? You know, like, if people wanted to insult a homosexual with the F word yeah. or a black person with the N word, I, I, I think they should be free to do it. I just don't see the purpose. I'm like, why would you want to do that? Well, I, I mean, I, what's being accomplished? Like, that's the end of the day. Like, you, you, freedom of speech is such a beautiful concept. It's fairly new, too, for most of our history. Yeah. You get fucking, you know, messed with the wrong person, you get killed. It's simple. It's pretty, you know, we, we've evolved a lot. And it's, it's, it's never been so good in that regard. I feel like you can actually insult your president and not go to prison. But, you know, we should use that power uh, to... to for the better, for the good, you know, for the common good, not for, oh, I'm just going to be a rebel without a cause here and insult people just because. Like, what do you, it's, it seems almost like a childish use of freedom of speech. To me. Yeah, it's just... It's very immature. I, I think what you said was great, childish, right? Because what do children do? They test boundaries. Yeah. Right? They see, how far can I go? Yeah. You know, and when that hand doesn't get slapped, they don't yeah. stop there. Yeah. They're going to keep going. Yeah. Like, and they'll keep going until they learn a, uh, where the limit is. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it, I don't know. It, I, it, I wouldn't do Honestly, I, I believe people should have the freedom to do it, obviously, but I wouldn't do it because I don't see the point. I don't see the point of drawing Muhammad. I don't see the point of insulting someone just because. I mean, what's being, <laughs> again, there's nothing good is being accomplished, you know, so let's use that incredible freedom for, for good use. You know? Yeah, I, I, I see, like, Shouldn't I mean if we're gonna apply that standard? They shouldn't be insulting anybody's religious icon. You know what I mean? Whether it's, I wouldn't. It's a, I wouldn't. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I, I'm not a religious person, but like I can't remember ever insulting anyone's. Like I don't. Right. I don't see the I, personally. I wouldn't either. It doesn't uh, make sense to me. I, I mean, either everybody's right or everybody's wrong. And, hey man, you know what? At the end of the day, <laughs> hey, makes you happy. Yeah. I want you to be happy. If that's how your worldview is, and you know, as long as you're not interfering with my freedoms and my way of life and that's where i draw the line it's exactly. like as long yeah. as you keep this state secular and you don't impose your beliefs on me i don't care what you believe and in fact i support your beliefs go go for it whatever they may be as long as you're not once again interfering with my freedoms you're not hurting children you're not hurting animals you're not doing anything then i support your freedom to believe in whatever you choose to believe yeah. yeah, I think that's ultimately what the American dream is. I, I agree. About that's and that we and we and, and yeah. that's it's it's a good dream. It's it's yeah. a it's a very valid. It's a very it's a very good standard to uphold. 
Uh, Dave, that's a lot of policies that we barely talked to, talked about martial arts, but like the election is is up in the air, and uh, we, we sprinkled in some. Yeah, some with there's, Khabib, yeah, some we UFC, did, we did. RPGJF. But it's hard not to because that's what on everyone's mind right now. But anyway, guys, uh, whatever happens, I think elections, the results will be coming out like the next day or two, hopefully. Okay. Um, no violence, no violence. I think you lost. The second you turn to violence, you lost. You're on the, you're in the wrong. That's the way I see it. Like you want to debate, let's debate all day. The second you throw a rock, the second you pull out a gun, you're in the wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Guys, uh, this was fun, Dave. Thank you. We'll do this again next week. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you guys then. Take care. All right. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know we floated around all over the place, but uh, we'll promise next time we'll be a little more focused. Not a lot going on in the jiu-jitsu world. Uh in the MMA world, we again we touched on a few of the things that happened, but no big news just yet. Uh, we'll look to bring a guest on the next episode, and uh, from what I've heard, it should be a good one. So, uh, as always, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff to help us build and expand our reach. And until next time, take care. A final word from one of our sponsors which is DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. DrysdaleBJJOnline.com is Robert's membership site where he has all sorts of different courses you can access, very affordably priced. And honestly, Robert's one of the best instructors that you can learn from. Very articulate, well-spoken, and well-versed in everything he teaches. It's the reason why here in Vegas is the place I train and I take my training seriously. So go ahead, visit DrysdaleBJJOnline.com, pick up a course today, you'll be glad you did.